Welcome to How to Hochschule, our audio guide about tackling life and work at Rhein-Waal University of Applied Sciences, one of the most international universities in Germany. So grab a cup of tea, put on your comfy headphones and join us as we explore the world of Hochschule Rhein-Waal. When we started this program, we searched for people who can help us during the production, during yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. the interviews, and it's all locked. So one person we found. Can you say something? In the pre-production phase. Something. Ah, it's, it's a bad joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, was Hi, everyone. My name is Hadi, and I am the special guest of today's episode. And there's a certain reason for it. So in the last episode, we... Had an interview with Nele. Nele, we are recording. Perfect. Harry helped me out last time in the first episode, recording a few interviews and and I had no idea what the point of this was, but I thought, okay, this is Nele, what is the point of this? <laughs> what is the point of this? During the interview, we find something out about you that's quite interesting. Really? <laughs> we had the discussion that your German got worse. Doing your studies here. What? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You say you found out something interesting. It's more like something quite embarrassing, I think, in my opinion. And um, so we decided, hey, let's let's make an episode about this, like how to speak German. Right. So because it's important part to, I mean, you live in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> I plan to keep living in Germany as well for a while at least. So you probably need German. Probably. Probably. I mean, it's easy to, to survive in Germany without actually speaking German, depending on where you are. Right. But there will always be a time when you would need the language. And um, I grew up in Malaysia, in a city called Penang. It's on the west coast. It's an island, actually. So Penang is, a, I mean, Malaysia itself is a multicultural nation. A big part of it is because of colonialism. So you have generally three big ethnic groups in Malaysia. You have the Malays, which are supposed to be the original people there. And then later on, you had people from China and people from India that came into the country for different reasons. My roots are South Indian. So the way my people sort of came to the country was when the British were ruling us. Malaysia did provide a lot of rubber for the British Empire which was a big part of their economy. So they brought a whole bunch of people from the south of India to work in the rubber plantations. And what happened was after independence and after everyone started to get into their own thing, really become more members of the society, the people who started their lives there as, well, I think slave would be a bit of, a, of an exaggeration, but they were working the plantations. Those people kind of got left behind and that carried on until modern times. So... The reason that I decided to leave Malaysia was because growing up as a member of this community, in that society, you face racial discrimination your entire life. So ever since you're a kid, basically. So at some point I thought, okay, I, I would like to live in a place where I am treated like an equal. And at the time, I mean, even when you take into consideration the amount of money you're going to spend to leave the country, Germany just seemed to be the best option. Because other countries, like the nearest would be Australia. That's another popular destination, but it's very expensive. So I decided, okay, I'll give Germany a shot. That was the main reason that I left my country. 
What brought you to the next decision to pick Kleve? Okay, so the things I knew about Germany were the things that... Good things, only good things. It was the healthcare system, the social healthcare, the social systems in Germany, this free education, and you also have so many scientists and philosophers and people who really contribute to Western civilization. So the thing that really attracted me about Germany was how different it was, and that was my perception. And I think to a certain degree, it's still the things that I thought about Germany is just that coming here, I, I was like, okay, we have these great social systems and all this stuff, but... I didn't know how slow it would be trying to get an appointment. The doctors, for example, and the wheels of bureaucracy in Germany are very, very slow. That was stuff that I did not expect. So I thought I was going to end up doing engineering like every other kid. And I had no idea about engineering. And now I know that I would hate it if I had done that. But I did apply to the mechanical engineering course as well as the mechatronics engineering course. And then I saw something called science communication. Never heard of this term before. And I thought, okay... I care about people knowing about science. I think I'm a decent writer. I think I can talk, you know, so I thought, why not give it a shot? And then I applied for these three courses and I got accepted for all three. And I thought, okay, I think I would go with science communication. And that's how I ended up in Kleve. And then after five years actually living in Germany, my German, my German got really bad. Like my confidence in speaking German dropped as well, which is weird. I think it is because it's usually the opposite. I mean, it's always the opposite. I think, but but yeah, that's what happened. There's nothing wrong with learning another language, but I think I, I think I think at this point, I feel like me as a foreigner living in Germany. This is just my personal belief, but I feel like I have a moral obligation to learn the language because I'm the one who came here. I can't expect people to speak my language because ah, yeah. I came here to study because I don't like it in my country. It makes no sense to not speak the language. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Lesson number one: Just ask. So, and and uh, we thought maybe we should just start at the very very beginning. What normally happens when you come here as a student at the Rheinwald University of Applied Sciences, you do a German course. You do a German course, and that's what we're doing right now. We visiting a German course. Yep, the A one point one course. Absolute. Beginner's course. Was ist an jedem Hafen? Yeah, that's Martin sign for the ships entering the harbor. What do you see? Helicopter. Nee, helicopter. <laughs> and the darkness and the darkness. Light. Ah, light, but I don't know how we call it. Das ist ein Leucht. Es ist ein Leuchtturm. Yeah, it's a tower, and on this, uh, yeah. on the top, you have this fire. Okay. So we both went to a German class. Yeah. Which yeah. was a A1 class? It was the A1.1 class. So it's the first German class you will ever take wherever you go if you want to do a, a German course according to what we call the Common European Framework of Reference, or CFR. So that is the standard as to how your language proficiency is evaluated over here. That's the officially recognized language evaluation system. And the Hochschule Rheinwald offers up to B1.2. So in A1, you are learning all the basics, um, the basic vocabulary, the basic mechanics of grammar and things like that. And once you made it to A2, once you finish A2, you can have the most basic conversations, but you are still not 
an independent speaker. So what would be like a basic conversation? Some stuff like that, like the most basic small talk. You're not going to say anything really deep in my experience, at least. You're probably not going to be able to really express your thoughts completely right. with just an A2. But you will have a sense of the basic grammar mechanics. But once you go to B1, that's when you're going to start to be more of an autonomous speaker. You're going to be more independent. So once you finish your B1.2, ideally, you should be able to hold a presentation on a topic that you prepared. It wow, could be right. a cultural topic, things like that. You still would need to do some preparation, but you can hold a presentation and you would be able to have uh, some discussion after the presentation. Maybe you're not able to just uh, come up with the whole thing on the spot, like mm. spontaneously, as you would in your native language. But you can still navigate your way around living in Germany independently. You can, so to speak, survive in a daily situation in Germany. So the way it's arranged in this university is that the German classes actually give can give you credits. Oh. So, uh, But here's a disclaimer. You need to check with your examination board because it's not the same for every course. So you have to see how many credits you can get. But you can get up to five credits. So if you complete the A2 course, so from A1 until A2.2, if you finish that, you can get five credits. And if you complete the whole of the B1 course, you can get another five credits. As of 2022, things have changed because I remember in 2017, there still was a B2 class. Oh, yeah. But the 2022 module description only mentions up to B1.2. So if I'm interested as a student in joining a German class at the Hochschule Rheinbahn, what do I have to do? Sign up on Moodle. And sign up soon because there is a maximum capacity of 20 students per class. And if you don't make it, you will be put on a waiting list and you will be given priority for the next intake. But you should go to the language courses Moodle page and sign up over there. And if you need more details about the language courses, you can check out the web page for the language department on the university website. What they actually do is they, they are getting prepared to test, right? Because Ah, yes, they are getting prepared for, for an exam. For CFR, the CFR style exams in general, you have the spoken test. And in the spoken test, you may be given certain words. In the A1 level, at least, you may be given certain words and you have to form a sentence or form a question or something like that. So really basic speaking skills. And then you have the written exam, which I believe includes the listening component as well. So you might have a text to listen to, an audio audio dialogue or something, a monologue to listen to, and then you're given questions, usually in the form of multiple choice, and then you answer those questions, and then you have the written part of the exam where you have basic writing tasks. So the four skill areas in language learning are always tested at every level, so listening, reading, writing, and speaking. Did you find out anything from speaking with the German students who were in the same situation you were? I mean, I think that the experience of being a language student is quite universal, mm. most of the time, at least. I mean, there were some who definitely had a, a, a gift for learning languages and the others had to, you know, study like everybody else. But one thing that was interesting is none of them are monolinguals. Every one of them speaks at least two languages. Right. So they are coming into this already with the experience of having learned another language. So maybe that makes it easier for them. But yeah, all of them seem to have some struggles interacting with the local people of Kleve because they don't speak German. For example, going to a restaurant or something like that, like someone mentioned that the cashier or the server or the waiter, whoever was a little bit annoyed that they didn't speak German 
and things like that. I think everyone who had to learn a language as an adult, right? Yeah, could relate to that. And the guy sitting next to me was from Portugal originally, but then grew up in Spain. And his name's Carlos. And uh, during the break, I asked him if he would like to tell me more about his experiences learning German here as an international student. I think yeah, it's the, it's the language. If you if you talk the language, they feel like you're like a friend, and the things can be smoother, and mm -hmm. and you can talk in yeah in a better way. But if you come from another country and you try to mm -hmm. to explain or to yeah to ask why why things work like that, they like if they don't have the time to do so, so they just trying to do, hurry up mm -hmm. or shout a bit mm -hmm. or yeah. So that's yeah the shocking thing of of here. So yeah, that's the thing that with German language and all that stuff. But apart from that, I haven't experienced like other very difficult thing. Yeah. Like I think all other things were nice until now. Yeah. So I'm pretty happy about that. Like I haven't any bad experience mm -hmm. here. Essentially they were telling me that learning German is going to make your life in so much easier even though none of them actually needed for the university courses, but they needed for a living here in Germany. I think the interesting part about the teacher, Miss Carla Bongers, was the fact that she's doing it for a quite long time. So she has quite a range of experience with students from this University of Applied Sciences. Oh, I just, I started as a teacher while I was studying at Münster University already. I studied English and geography. And in 2011, my private life changed. And I thought, okay, what are you going to do now? And I thought, oh, back to the roots, you know? And then I got in contact with the language center here at the Rhineval University. And for almost 11 years, I'm a teacher for German at this university. Now I teach the A1 classes and A2 classes. Some years ago, I, um, ago, I also taught the B2 classes, B1 and B2 classes. I enjoy it. We, sometimes we play some games. You know, we play lotto to learn the numbers. And today they played a little bit with some clocks to learn what time we have, because many of them have a lot of difficulties learning the German time. And so she was able to actually tell me some learning techniques that the students could use to improve their German learning experience and also make it fun. I think the mistake, many of the students make a mistake and they should start learning the vocabulary. They should start learn five new words a day. That's not too much. They should write five new words on a small card or on five cards, put them in their pocket and every time they feel the pocket, they take these five cards and they just read the new words. And they can make um, a game out of it. If they have enough cards, they can meet the friend who also learns German. And they can have lunch at the Mensa. And they can say, okay, you ask for a word and I'm going to ask who has got the most right answers is going to pay for today, for example, yes? And I think this is the mistake because five new words a day means 25 new words per week. And these are 100 per month and 1,200 new words per year. And that's not a, a difficulty for those young people. They are intelligent and they know how to learn, yes, and they are in training. And she also gave uh, other tips on maybe some cultural activities that students could 
take part in to further expose himself to the language? There is a theater not very far away from here, the Sox Theater. A friend of mine was an actor over there, just for fun. But this is something you learn the culture because they are not showing Macbeth or Hamlet or anything like this. They're small comedies. And you can go to the theater Emmerich or to the theater here in Kleve. There are concerts. You can see stand-up comedy. You just have to keep your eyes open and have a look at it. But I think the biggest takeaway from Frau Kalabonges was she said you just have to ask. So what she meant by that was to get out of your comfort zone, don't be shy and just speak to Germans in German. They should meet Germans. They should go to some, if whether they are interested in horse riding, they could go to a stable, ask there, can I help you for one afternoon? For this, I don't want to be paid, but I just want to ride a horse for two hours or once a week. It's possible. Or they can go to a football club here and they can ask, oh, I'm coming from Nigeria. I like to play football. Could I play with you? I think the most German would say, okay, come on, join us. You just have to ask. Even if it's the most basic conversations, it's to actually get out there and do it. And I agree with her that that is the way to go if you want to have lasting improvements in your language learning journey. And she also mentioned, so I am a big music fan. Right. I also play a bit of music. And she mentioned this place called Haldan. For example, you don't have to go to large festivals somewhere in the southern part of Germany. We have our festival over here in Haldan, Haldan Pop. It's famous all over Germany and from all over the world. You see these people coming to Harlem and sometimes you see these guys. They all already experienced Woodstock, yes, and Joe, saw Joe Cocker alive on stage at that uh, time. And they, um, you know, they are still hippie and uh, they come to Harlem uh, and uh, leave the station over there. And they go to this festival area and they have a small tent and they sleep over there. And it's crowded with the young people, older people, but the music is very good, yeah? And you don't have any trouble over that. Um, you mentioned like your main motivation to go to Haldern is uh, what uh, the German teacher Carla Bongers told you. That's like the Haldern Pop Festival is a little bit like Woodstock. Wood Woodstock Festival. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't make it to the Haldern Pop Festival, but I visited the Haldern Pop Bar anyway. So the bar has, there is a reason the festival has the same name as the bar, because I think music is a, is a, is a big part of it. So they have live shows quite often. So when I was there, I managed to see two. And um, yeah, my motivation, like people might think, okay, why not Perucaville? Because it's also nearby. But I think uh, Halden Pop is more suited to my musical taste. And like I said, she mentioning, she comparing it to Woodstock really sold the idea to me that, okay, that's where I want to go next. And so, yeah, that's where I went. Attended some concerts. I met a few people there, like... People from the Netherlands, there was another band from the Netherlands that came to watch one of the bands in Haldan. And I also discovered their music because I had a conversation with them. And then there were some people from Berlin, like who grew up in Haldan, but then moved to Berlin and then came back for this time period because the festival is nearby. 
So people keep coming back. And I think the craziest thing for me about, about Halden Pop was that a lot of big successful bands got their start there. And this would be quite counterintuitive because Halden is a, I don't mean this in a bad way, but a kudos. But you have massive international acts that got their start playing at this festival. Like Muse or George Ezra. He actually played in that bar. I have, I have pictures. Not when I was there, but yeah. So this was a lot more interesting to me than anything else. So of course I, I went there. The shows are free and the people are really nice. Lesson number two, be part of it. And then uh, there was this really interesting, this other interesting cultural thing, which I had never heard of previously, called, I hope I don't butcher the word, um, Schützenbruderschaft. Did I say it right? That's, that's fine, yeah. yeah Schützen, right. what, what, how would you translate it? So the guy I talked to, his name is Benedict, Benedict Brümling. So he said um, Schützen, on, one of the meanings is to protect. And it also refers to the people who do the protecting. So like a night watch, there's a famous Rembrandt painting called the night watch, which is actually the Schützenbruderschaft of somewhere in the Netherlands. So it's a Germanic thing, not German in particular, but it's like a Germanic thing. Um, so every year they have a festival called Schützenfest where they shoot uh, wooden birds and they have a party. And then they have a competition for someone who's going to be the king, the Schützenkönig who's kind of like a representative for the Schützen Brotherhood, the Bruderschaft for that year. And it was really interesting. It's, it goes back to Middle Ages. And I thought that was really cool. Go on. Very much more folky than other German um, festivals that I know of because being a student, you're here for the first few years and you think of German traditions. You think about Carnival. That's the nearest big thing. I went to Carnival once and I never wanted to go back. It was just way too much for me to handle. And then you have Kirmis. But, but, but... Schützenfest is different in the sense that you actually can feel the old, the heritage aspect of it. You can still feel the folk aspect of it because people are all dressed in traditional attire. They have traditional activities like like the parade, like the actual shooting events. And these old timey kind of concepts like the shooting king and stuff like that. And that was... It's weird to say a breath of fresh air because it's a very old thing, but it's I, I like old things and something that's not so modernized as the other big German festivals which have evolved into more like a party where you'd see a lot more young people, I guess.
So Benedict, he's actually a school principal from Halden, but he's also been part of the Schützenbruderschaft. Schützenbruderschaft is quite a mouthful, but I'll, I'll try to keep saying it because I want to try to stay true to what it's actually called. Although Benedict does refer to it as shooting club. So he is one of the secretaries of the shooting club. So he's one of the higher positions there. And he's been going to this since he was a kid. So yeah, he basically told me what it's all about, how it started, what actually happens. Mm. Um, he also told me about their customs, like with the Schützenkönig, for example. Well, I will try. Yeah. Shooting festivals, shooting clubs are no special thing only here in Haldern. It's a special thing in the Lower Rhine area. It's also some special thing in the Netherlands, in the western part of Germany, in Luxembourg, in Belgium, in some parts of France, I think, in Austria, in Bavarian. But there is a special group. They make it in a very traditional way. I am now at the age of 42, and I joined my first shooting festival in the 80s. When you think... In the 80 years, there wasn't so many big events in this village. There mm. was a festival in Germany we called Kirmes. It's yep. because of the building up the church mm -hmm. in Halland in yeah, and, and the shooting festival and uh, the Halland Fest, Open Air Festival. Uh, take also, this time takes place or took place. But for me, as a little child, most mm -hmm. interesting was the shooting festival. Mm -hmm. So I went with my grandpa mm -hmm. to the shooting festival and I have a look to all the people who were standing over there. When I went over there, it was so interesting to see all the people who were standing right over there and having fun. And I was deeply impressed by the thing, with the, this event when I see the persons. When I was a little child, I was so deeply impressed by the people wearing the uniform. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm wearing the uniform as well, but it isn't something special. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's normal. And right up to now, we have got 25 regiments. And altogether, there are 780 persons who are members in a shooting club. And we're thinking of the festival itself. There must be a thousand or thousand and one hundred people or so. It's one special year you want to have fun with your regiment. You decide to shoot on this bird just to have fun and to be the king for one year. There is a very strong community aspect to this. It really lives up to the name of brotherhood, Bruderschaft, because they really look after each other. Like if someone is sick or something like that, his, his brothers, his shooting brothers, have his back. They take care of him and stuff like that. And Benedict seemed to think and he made it look like this is the central aspect of it it's a cornerstone of this tradition which again sets it apart from other german traditions that are more popular where people just get together for that one time to party but in the schutzenbruderschaft it's every other day of the year it stays with you you're part of this family when you think of the youth guys and we also started this way we just want to have fun But now we are a little bit older and we, with our regiment, it was our 22nd shooting festival. You are part of a community and you take care of your community. You can do take care of the person who are part of your community. And when I think of one of the old members, and it was three months ago, one of the old people died and he was living in a special building for old people because he was very, very ill. And Every week, one or two person went in this building and he's lying in his bed 
And sometimes he recognized you, sometimes he's in another world. And they are sitting next to him. They just are with him. And they talk, sometimes they talk to each other, sometimes they talk with him. Is it taking care? And, and they say, this is our friend. And we don't want to let him die alone for years or so. For me, this is shooting festival. In three days in a year, we just have fun. It's okay. Mm -hmm. But when somebody is in, in trouble, mm -hmm. somebody has problems because his marriage get divorced or mm -hmm. um, uh, he's very, very ill. Mm -hmm. There's a special event in his village. It is not dependent if he is fit or not. Mm -hmm. He is part of it, and they take care of it. They, they put him to this festival. They're drinking a beer or water or whatever with him. But there is a community, and this community is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And this is the things, when you have good, good friends in this regiment, they take care of you, and this is, for me, the important thing. The reason that uh, Frau Bong has mentioned Haldan was because she talked about cultural activities, right? right. And relating this to actually learning German. So when you find cultural activities in a place that you like, like you enjoy the activities, you can relate to them. You can actually see yourself being part of this, which is also something that Benedict mentioned because there was someone from Scotland who moved to Haldan and it started being a part of this very traditional village folk festival and he's not even from there and they welcomed him. Tell me a little bit about this this Scottish guy because this so far it's a very German tradition and yep. the the one here is it seems to be very closely tied with the local community of Haldan. Yeah. Yep. yeah so yeah, how did a, how did an international get involved? It's very interesting because he moved to Germany because his wife made a year in Great Britain mm -hmm. uh, after making making her A levels or so. And they fell in love with another and they come to Germany and he went to Haldan and I think and he, he lived there and said, well, I want to be part of the village community. So he wants to get into the shooting club. Mm. And right up to now, it's very interesting because we made sometimes this, this regiment made a mixture of uh, cultures. Mm -hmm. they, when they have a jubilee, mm -hmm. they went uh, with a shooting jacket and a shooting hat on, on the head. And there were kills. Mm -hmm. This is um, some kind of mixture from tradition. Did they do it specially for him? Or? Yeah. yeah. Wow. wow. They so haven't done it before, I think. Okay. They haven't done it before, but he was part of this regiment and they want to make something special. And, and they say, well, we've got a Scottish guy with us. Mm -hmm. So we wear skirts or kills. No, yeah. I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I think it's just, it, despite it being so traditional... Yeah. There's still this room for welcoming someone who's from a completely different culture because now he's part of the brotherhood. Yeah. yeah. The way I see it is that once you find this cultural activity that you really enjoy and that you can really relate to, the motivation to learn the language will come with it, for sure. Uh, so yeah, I got to practice my German as well with the local people of Halden, and that was very, very much more enjoyable than talking to students in the university. <laughs> Lesson number three, no one ever regrets learning a new language. 
someone sitting right next to me in my office here at the Hochschule Rheinwahl is Brad Ellis, who actually also had the same B1.2 level like you had, right? Yeah. I think also what's important is to realize that language and culture are inseparably intertwined. Yeah. So if you say, I want to learn German, but I don't like German culture, that doesn't work. That doesn't compute. You need to say, I think there's a lot of cool stuff about German culture that I want to learn about. And I want to improve my language. That computes. That that makes sense. And you, you don't have to. There's you don't have to be a scholar of Germany and Germans to do that. But you have to be willing to want to learn more about them, their backgrounds, their culture, their region, their their country, their history, all of that, because that relates to their lang the language so directly. And language is a result of that. And language evolves through that through that lens so mm -hmm. you can't say i just want to learn the language like from a book and then not have to do with germans because that doesn't make sense people who are new to germany need to kind of f discover that spark for german culture that interests them and i think once they find that like the language kind of follows the, la the motivation to learn the language mm -hmm. follows But the interesting thing about Brett is that yeah. Brett's experience as a student was completely different from yours, right? Yeah. Because his German got better. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. he fell in love with the language and then he went so far that he's now, I don't know, his position. What is his position again? It's typically translated as the deputy head of the language department. Mm -hmm. um, in German, it's stellvertretender Leitung. So we have a, a head of the department and I am her backup and I have... So when she's not there, I take over for her. And when she is there, I have a whole range of different other responsibilities, mostly to do with language courses, but also to do with English language translations of official documents and marketing stuff for the university as well. I think a big, big difference between my experience and Brett's is that when Brett came to Germany, he had already majored in German language in his university in, in America, in, in Clemson University. I just studied a crash course up till B1. So But it's quite far, actually. I mean, the course where we went was A1 level. Like yeah, we really went to the A1 course. So, and yeah. you, quite some, some time you, you spent learning German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very intense. It was very intense. But again, like compared to Brett, I mean, studying up till B1 is still not the same as majoring in the language. I'm born and raised in the United States monolingually too. So yeah. just ra raised speaking English. Yeah. And we, I picked up German in particular in when I went to college. I was majoring in sociology. They had to do two years of languages as well as part of the general education requirements. And uh, most people took Spanish. So I wanted to do something a little different. And I took German. And after like a two semesters, I think, I realized I enjoyed German more than I enjoyed sociology. So I switched majors to German and I focused on German language and literature for the rest of my time there. But anyway, at the end of the day, learning the language in your own country and actually speaking it in the country where the language comes from is still a very different experience. Mm. I came here knowing, I would say, about B1.2, maybe B2 German, very low B2. Okay. I had done a, a simulated semester abroad at Clemson in the summer. It was like four weeks where we would we stayed on campus, but we spoke only in German. It was like we, we signed a pledge. I We will not speak any English. We will only speak German to each other. And that kind of gave me a good boost to... I remember the first day, and I had two years of German under my belt at that point. And that first day, we sat down and did a full day of German. 
And afterwards, I went up to my teachers and I said, I don't think I can do this. I understood like 20% of what was being said here. And Mm -hmm. I feel scared and I don't think I can manage that. And they said, don't worry, just stick with it. Mm -hmm. And it got better and it got really better. And it was after that, like three weeks, I felt like, holy moly, I can actually speak German and understand what people are saying. I can't do it very well and I can't do it at, you know, the highest of levels, but I don't feel out of my element anymore. I feel like I'm, I can do this. Mm-hmm. So I had that. I was fortunate in that I got the worst and scariest part out of the way before I came to Germany. Mm-hmm. But I still recall the first party I went to, I was talking, you know, it was loud and we were having, you know, beers and I was talking to some German guy and I couldn't understand him. I kept asking what he was saying. Mm-hmm. It was. It took me a while to figure out his name. Like Sebastian was his mm-hmm. name, and I thought, well, I, I don't understand it. What does that mean? Because I know it as Sebastian. Mm-hmm. So I just the intonation was so strange to me, mm-hmm. and I sat there and I just repeated it. It's like until I got it, and so I wasn't ashamed to do stuff like that. And I felt mm-hmm. like I think that gave me a big boost to my learning because I got that scariest, most uncomfortable part out of the way before I came to Germany, and that's really hard for students, for example, who have to experience that for the first time. It's a really scary experience. I try to remind students whenever I get the chance and whenever it's appropriate that it's a unique opportunity to actually live in Germany and have immediate access to the language because when I was studying in Clemson, I only had access through the courses. Mm -hmm. Outside of the courses, there was maybe like a maybe handful of Germans or German-speaking people in the entire area Mm -hmm. who I could talk with. We had like Stammtisch, for example, like Mm -hmm. once every couple of weeks where Mm -hmm. we would meet up and speak in German. But... I mean, you could go outside right now to a store and talk with someone, you know, in German, and you're not going to have a, maybe a deep conversation, but you're going to have an interaction that's going to benefit your language learning in a certain way. And I think that's a really cool opportunity, even if it's just you go out and buy a magazine or something like that, like a Spiegel. Like mm-hmm. I would always buy a, a copy of a magazine when I came in through the airport because that was like the, the first time I could get a German magazine. You could sit there and think, I, I can't speak German. No one wants to speak with me. And Or you could just kind of bite the bullet and try to just put yourself out there mm-hmm. and do it. And mm-hmm. even if that's just through, you know, a Hochschulsport or something like that for mm-hmm. the, the, the through a sports activity or something that would be you know it's you got to look for the opportunities and you got to kind of continuously push up against your limits and keep testing your limits and keep trying to drive through plateaus mm-hmm. um and I was fortunate in that you know I had a couple years of preparation before I came here but I mean it it was still there were a lot of there was a lot of you know experiences in university or privately where I was not prepared for anything. It was just, you just got to kind of survive. You got, you do your best and mm-hmm. you, you know, you use your language skills as much as you can. And then what I would do is always, I would, I would go home and just replay it in my head again and again, what happened. I think the big difference between me and Brett was that Brett had the right mindset. He had a lot of conviction. Like he didn't give up. Um, he really, really wanted to keep pushing through and getting through all the challenges. Mm. It, But it is a mindset and I don't want to, sit here and claim that I have the mindset everyone needs to have. It's really an individual thing and it depends on the conditions of where you live. And in a VG, a flat share with other non-native speakers of German, it's mm-hmm. a difficult position to be in. Yeah, um, You could force yourself and others to simulate a native speaker flat share. Mm-hmm. How fun that would be, how successful you would be, that kind of open for debate, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be kind of awkward, but you could start with maybe an hour a night or you could watch a German 
TV show together or something mm -hmm. in German together. Mm -hmm. um, things like that. I mean, there's steps you can take. You can test them. Maybe they work out. Maybe they don't. Mm -hmm. um, you got to want it, I guess. Yep. That's the main thing. And it really depends on you the, as a person and the conditions you're in. And I can certainly appreciate students who are in groups maybe like their same ethnocultural groups. That's a good support network to have, especially when you're so far away from home. And, you know, I can understand Germans who don't want to just stand there and give you a language. Like they don't want to be a language learning tool. They want, you know, friends and they mm -hmm. want connections because they've lived here or, you know, in the region for their whole lives and they've mm -hmm. grown up here and it's, mm -hmm. they're people too. It's easy to kind of think, ah, I wish they would just teach me German or something like that. Or I wish I could just learn German from them. It's a constant struggle, I guess, to find the right path but if you have a mindset like a learning and growth mindset it kind of gives you an orientation it gives you a direction to follow and you just kind of have to keep at it if there's one thing i could tell students before they get here it's just that you can't you can't learn a language by osmosis it, mm -hmm. it, you have to you have to actively strive for it and you have mm -hmm. to you have to want it and you have to put the time into it and if you want it and you put the time in it it's there you can take it for me, I sort of gave up a little bit too easily. I got too comfortable. I got too comfortable in the fact that you, I could actually get around in Kleve without speaking a word of German. And because of that, I just got lazy. Because I did attempt to go to study B2 in this university as well. Mm. But then with everything else happening in my course, with all the other lots of work, lots of coursework, I thought, yeah, you know what, I, I have to prioritize. I will pick up German again at some point, but th that point never came, at least until until working on this episode. Mm. But Brett kept going. It's also the career paths that he took really needed a good working knowledge of German. Mm. So I think that's also a, a big difference because my choice in education and my choice in courses really don't require, in fact, it requires English, no German at all. But... So I think these things all come together because mm. I also, when I started learning German, really fell in love with the language. I also think it's a beautiful language. But yeah, I had to prioritize. I had to prioritize. And maybe if I had gotten part-time jobs while I was in Kleve, which a lot of students do, I could have maintained my German level or maybe even improved. But that's something I didn't do. Something Brett mentioned, which I think is really, really cool, is that no one ever said, I regret learning that language. I always tell students, no one ever said, oh, I wish I hadn't learned that language or something like that. It's a good thing. And it's another feather in your cap. Even if you do leave, say, you know, I, I learned German for so and so many years. Even if you, you know, end up at your, you're back in your home country, that's a valuable skill to have. Yep. So, you know, it's an individual decision, but it's there for you if you want it. And it's about how you approach it, I think. But did, did you manage to improve your German? I definitely speak it a little better and I have the tools to continue improving it. I wouldn't say I'm fluent now after traveling around the Niederrhein, but definitely at least a little bit better from when I started off. What I have recently started doing, this coincided with the production of this podcast, was that I decided for myself that if I am able to say something in German, I am not going to ask them, sprechen Sie English. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to say it in German, even if my grammar is horrible and even if they don't immediately understand me, I'm going to speak in German. And I think this manifested itself with the last time I went to the dentist because she didn't speak English. 
Mm. And then it's not like you talk a lot when you're in the dentist's office, but little things here and there when she was telling me all the things wrong with my teeth and making doctor's appointments, for example, when I make a doctor's appointment, I don't speak in English anymore. Although I do ask if the doctor can speak English because if it comes to health, I mean, mm. you know, but little things like that. And uh, if I... And these are things which uh, Frau Bong has mentioned. Like if you go to Edeka or Aldi or something, a supermarket, and you you can't find something, you ask the Mitarbeiter, you know, wo kann ich Milch finden, or however you say that. Like, um, you're quite good, actually. Thank you. What is the article? Is it Das Milch? Die Milch? Die Milch. Wo kann ich die Milch finden? Something like that. Yeah. No, it's so good. Little things like this. And that is honestly a change that has happened in this past few months. A lot of times why we don't actually speak the language is because we are afraid of sounding dumb. Mm -hmm. But I think a useful tool here is to imagine if someone is speaking your language, are you going to make fun of them? Probably not. You're probably, first of all, going to be, you know, you're going to appreciate that they're trying and you're going to be happy to help them. So why is when, when it's the other way around, the fear sets in because we're, we're, I think we're more harsh on ourselves than we are on other people. Thank you for listening to the How to Hochschule podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and feel free to follow us and recommend us to your friends. If you have any thoughts or suggestions or just want to let us know how you liked the episode, please don't hesitate. Take courage and do reach out to us at podcast at hsrw.eu. We're always looking for ways to improve and we appreciate your feedback. Also, be sure to check out our show notes for links and more information on today's topics and guests. Next time on the How to Hochschule podcast. There's like, uh, I would say, an urban myth that there are some exams that are made that you have to fail the first yeah. time. Tune in next time as we discuss the in and outs of how to study at one of the most international universities in Germany. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Stefan Hanf. This is the How to Hochschule podcast. We are looking forward to having you back next time. Tschüss.